Welcome to From What If to What Next, your one-way ticket to the imagination age. We make this podcast because if the world has nowhere it can go to really imagine a better future and imagine it with all its senses, then we'll never create it. As the brilliant Walida Imarisha puts it, we can't build what we can't imagine, so it's imperative for us to create spaces that allow us to infinitely stretch our understanding of what's possible. I hope fervently that this podcast represents such a space in your life. In these imagination-starved days, we need each other. If you enjoy our conversation today, and it's my prediction that you will, then please give some thought to the possibility of subscribing to support the making of this podcast. It really makes a big difference. Uh, We'll give you uh, extra bits as well as these episodes and our Ministry of Imagination bonus episode, and we come past your house at unpredictable intervals and sprinkle it with fairy dust, all included in the price. It really helps. Just go to patreon.com slash from what if to what next and join us on this journey. Thank you. So, Let's get to today's conversation. Everywhere, where you live included, has a patchwork of organisations of different sizes who are doing business and making things happen in a way that is not solely about the generation of profit, but about serving a larger social purpose. They might be called social enterprises or socially trading organisations or all sorts of other things, but they're out there, the seeds of a new economy, but often ploughing a fairly lonely and tough furrow, doing what they can, dreaming of the potential of scaling up what they do, but not quite knowing how to do it. Today's episode asks, what if they all got together and designed how better they might join up and work in a more connected way? What if they offered peer-to-peer support between each other? What if the mayor of a city got behind this new network and saw it as an opportunity to invest and support the emergence of a new economy? What if that investment was then, as each enterprise found its feet and generated surpluses, reinvested back on a pay-it-forward basis to help other emerging enterprises? And what if this skillful support for a new economy spread and spread and became the default model for how to regenerate the economies of towns and cities across the land. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, stand by. You're about to hear a story about how this is actually happening and one you won't have read about in the papers or seen on TV, but is very much a reality. Our question for today, therefore, is what if every place had a thriving social economy? It's my huge joy to welcome to the podcast Daniel Cohen and Erica Rushton. Danielle joined Power to Change, the independent trust that supports community businesses in England in 2018. She works in cities and regions to enable the community business sector to flourish as part of the local economy. Her work has included partnering on the development of Kindred, a social investment vehicle owned and led by the social economy of Liverpool City Region, backed by the City Region's combined authority and power to change, which you're going to hear more about soon. And before joining Power to Change, she worked in urban regeneration, community engagement and corporate responsibility, including as deputy CEO of a central London BID. She believes passionately in building a regenerative economy which nurtures people and planet. And Erica has 35 years of experience in supporting investing in communities and creative enterprises to create, grow, occupy and reinvent their own economies. She's worked with homes, workplaces, towns, whole cities, industry sectors and communities of interest at a regional, national and international level. She is the director of Creative Economist, 
whose current contracts include Islington Mill Arts Club to deliver The Other City, an artist-led £7 million redevelopment of heritage and modern buildings, accommodating 150-plus creative enterprises, Women in Space, a network of 25-plus creative women from across the UK who have taken over unwanted land and buildings, creating value and giving places new purpose, and Kindred, which we'll hear more about shortly. Erica mentors creative women leaders nationally and internationally, lectures internationally and works voluntarily to address intersectional gender discrimination in the UK. Wow, welcome both of you to From What If To What Next. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Hi there. I'd love to start the way that we always start, by inviting you to join me stepping into my time machine. Actually, we almost weren't able to do this today. Regular listeners might be alarmed to know I had a blowout of the transmodulator-dominator Triscuit valve, which are actually surprisingly hard to find spares for. Anyway, I found one via a rather strange Romanian inventor I befriended on LinkedIn, and I think everything is now working fine. So I'd like to invite you both to close your eyes and to get comfortable. And in a moment, I'll turn it on. And we're going to travel to 2030, to a future that's not utopia, but the result of these nine years having been an extraordinary time of deep transformation, a time when everything that could have been done was done. I'll flip the switch now and feel the years rushing past you like a wind tunnel, years that we look back to as being a revolution of the imagination. And we now merge into a 2030 that, while in many ways looks the same, is profoundly changed. It's now close to zero carbon, more resilient, diverse, equal, just, beautiful. It's a world where every place now has a thriving social economy. It'd be lovely if you could walk us around and and describe that to us. What does it smell like, sound like, feel like? Danielle, maybe we'll start with you. Sure, thank you. So in 2030, where I am now, the economy is really working for people and for places and for the environment and when I walk down my high street it's bustling there are lots of people there there's people there not just to shop but also to connect with each other and to be in community with each other Um, when I walk out of my front door and down my suburban street I see my neighbor's disabled daughter being picked up by an electric minibus to take her to school and that minibus is run by our local community hub. Um, the community hub is contracted by the local council to run that transport to school. So they're gaining an income through a contract with the local authority. And the community hub itself is on the site of what used to be a small department store on our high street. And once that went under and folded, the council acquired it and a group of local people put together a plan for its use and they took it on. And They got grants, they fundraised from the local community, they renovated it. And now there's a cafe on the ground floor, which brings in lots of people and they rent out space for community uses like older people's groups and uh, antenatal classes. And then there's this other nonprofit community run organisation that runs a nursery in that space, bringing in an income for the community hub. But they also do that in other community centres. So they've got a model that helps to bring sustainable income to community businesses all over the city. And what's also really good about the cafe on the high street is that a lot of the food itself is actually grown on the local city farm, which is just a mile away. And that city farm gets an income by selling their produce to cafes and restaurants and also offers an affordable seasonal veg box scheme. And they hire out their building for desk and event space. And they also run healthy eating and therapeutic gardening courses, which people are referred on to and paid for by the NHS. 
And at the City Farm, all their volunteers live locally. And a lot of their trustees are also local and started off as volunteers. So they've been a part of that organisation, growing with it as it has grown. So as I get to the end of my street, there's some building work going on. Uh, there's a plot on the corner that used to be a car park. But now that people don't drive so much, we don't need a car park anymore. And <clears throat> local residents got together and acquired that land. And now they are building housing that's going to be zero carbon and is also going to fill a gap in our local community for smaller houses that young families can move into. And this is going to help them to stay in the area. And I'm going to go back now to the woman who's driving that minibus that's taking my neighbour's daughter to school um, because I've seen her around. She's local and I know that English isn't her first language and she's got this job for the hub driving the minibus. But she actually started off as a volunteer in the cafe kitchen at the community hub where she was taking English classes and she started off volunteering, sharing her cooking skills. And now she's got a job that suits her lifestyle that has good wages, good pay, and she's um, you know, able to be participating in the economy. So in my vision of 2030, people are working in good jobs that suit them and they have decision-making power over what happens in their local neighbourhoods. And therefore, there's a lot more connection between us. And part of the things that foster this are changes in policies, but also changes in the way that we educate children around what it means to be part of society and the economy. So it's not just about preparing them to get a job, but it's also preparing people to make decisions collectively and to collaborate. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Uh, Erica? It's really nice to walk out the door every day now and see some of those things that were just a sort of figment of our imagination. In fact, walking around town today, it reminds me, do you remember that point when the economy had to pause because of the pandemic? And we all went, oh, wow, we don't have to drive cars. And Actually, it's all the little businesses that are keeping the world going. Well, it feels like that every day now. And there's something really satisfying for me about seeing us. You know, it's taken us 30 years to get there. But that was like our North Star. That was our moment that showed us the way to go. So I look back on that pandemic, of course, with all that went with it and all the problems that went with it. But I think it taught a lot, us a lot of things. There was a moment when we got rid of that notion of growth and realised that the next big thing was a thousand small things. Um, and we're not talking about scaling up or scaling out or any of that rubbish anymore. But actually that patchwork has begun to stitch itself together. And I think that that kind of very distributed economy that we now enjoy is the thing that, that I take most satisfaction from, probably because I help doing the stitching together. But but it's really nice to see people like Peloton. Actually, they're not delivering the last mile anymore. They're delivering the last 20 miles in every city, you know, and the, their sister and brother organisations like Cycle of Life, like... Um, hype over on the Wirral, you know, each of them have got their distribution network sorted. They're very much the connectors between some of those home-based businesses and locally-based businesses. They are our distribution networks now. Do you remember those white vans we used to see coming outside our house to deliver one dress or one, one delivery from that thing called Amazon? I mean, we now know it's a river, but then we thought it was a distribution network. Who'd have thought, you know, <laughs> that people would drive around in vans to deliver a dress? But uh, my daughter probably misses it, but I don't think the rest of us do. Um, but she, she's taking up, making her own dresses and 
you know, she's part of one of our local distribution networks where people are very much making and exchanging and repurposing clothes, you know, some of which, you know, pretty new, but some of which date right back to 30 years ago and are still being repurposed and refashioned now. And you'd think that might make us look all old and dowdy, but actually, you know, the fashion world is booming with those repurposed fashions. So I think that imagination and the opportunity for people to use their imagination in their everyday lives has just transformed not only their lives, but actually our mental health. You know, I think, again, if we think back, we knew that physical activity was good for us, but we didn't really recognise how important creativity was and the making of something or the planting of something or the growing of something. That's the stuff that keeps us sane and connected to this earth. And so that, I think, is, you know, seeing that as a part of everybody's life has been really important. I mean, the other thing I'm really glad we got rid of was that. Do you remember that mad idea called rent? You know, like rent, what was that about? The idea that we would pay somebody who had more money than us to sit on a bit of land that is we all own it you know it's our land why on earth would you do that and it's really good to see the public money particularly and people's livelihoods going into a stake in this country that we all own um that none of us pay rent anymore that that the money we earn goes into building and repurposing the land and buildings we share together um, I think that you know I think that has been transformational particularly for pensioners actually you know when we're all paying rent you know some people who who never managed to get that state to own their own home they were a million quid worse off in their lifetimes than those of us who had the advantage to own our own home a million quid and then core in their elder years. You know, that was something that really, really grieved me. And I'm really glad that we brought in that act to get rid of the notion of rent. And it was painful for some people, I realise that. But sometimes change at the start is painful. I think it was worth doing. And seeing everybody as a sort of proud stakeholder in the place they live and, and sharing the products of what they do with their land and their buildings in that really communal way. Our working places and our homes started to reintegrate and really on my street now you know at the end we've got a little workshop so you can walk down the road and work if you don't want to work in your own home but the front of my home is also my office space and I invite people there I keep the back of it private because I like my own space too but that reintegration of working and living has been lovely for me and it means I see what other people do. I appreciate the care workers. I appreciate the people who do those jobs that service the rest of us because I see what effort and energy that takes. And I think the wages those people earn now, you know, we're not equal, not everybody's earning the same, but actually everybody is hitting that bottom rung of 95 pounds an hour. You know, it, it's good to see and that everybody can have a decent standard of life. And we're not, We've not got this notion of need anymore. The idea that some people needed something. Actually, we should all have that surplus we now have because look what we do with that surplus. We reinvest it in the local supply chains that we're all a part of.
Fabulous. Wow, 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 wow. Well, yeah, part of the, the big reason why we do that exercise is it's about uh, the cultivation of longing. And, and I think both of your visions there have absolutely done that. So thank you. Thank you so much. So I guess the best place to start would be to tell us the story of Kindred. What is it and how did it come about and what does it do? Maybe, Danielle, shall we start with you? Well, we can start with me, although the story does start before me. <laughs> so. Well, we can start wherever wherever is the most natural place to start. I'll leave it to you two to to. to Erica, do you want to start? Do you want to start off with kind of what you've been doing before? Yeah, because it, st- it started in the back of a taxi, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Many things have started in the back of a taxi, <laughs> but so did Kindred. <laughs> so I've been, I've been doing some work. It's really hard to say where the idea for this work started. If I go way, way back when I was first working in Liverpool, I came to Liverpool at a time of really high unemployment in the 80s, late 80s. And most people were leaving Liverpool at that point. And I had the opportunity, because of European money, to work with some creative people. And my job was to take creative people and help them create work for themselves or find a job. And way, way back, all those too many years ago, it was really successful. Creative people created their own jobs. Hey ho, who would have thought? And as a result, I didn't know my numbers were very good, but my numbers were very good. I think about 150 people created themselves a job in quite a short space of time or set up a business and created themselves and other people a job. And some of those businesses are still around now, um, 30, 30 plus years on. But but I think what that showed me was sometimes you do the simplest thing in the most creative of ways and it works. And, and so taking that ethos into bureaucracies, local authorities, um, you know, one one that really sticks in my mind is working with unemployed people and um, they weren't going on training courses and there were lots of training courses there and they got sick of them and they, I kind of said well what do you want me to do you know we've got money and you're meant to get a job and how do we how do we go about that and they just said oh give us the money I can get ourselves a job and 300 people did exactly that for 300 quid a pop and that ethos has stayed with me all the way through so we've been doing some work in Liverpool, um, really going full circle, giving um, investment to people who had beautiful ideas for their city. And again, they were really, really successful. They didn't only create their own great idea, but they impacted the place because they functioned as a community and a network. So these groups of people were beginning to transform places around the Northwest in a really energetic way that was infectious. Other people then joined in. So if I take an example, Make Liverpool was down in the North Docks. That They'd been dragged down there by the Invisible Wind Factory. So they were now side by side. They then accommodated, you know, another 90 people in their premises who were all makers and cyclists and folks who mended things and folks who built things. They began to sell on behalf of their network into commercial industries. So this infectious spreading, this patchwork was really visible. But we've got caught in some real politics that has you know, since transpired and become things like the caller report in Liverpool. And so though we've been talking to the lottery and a few other people about how we might do that at a bigger scale or repeat it in other neighborhoods. We were this political football 
And I talked about that with Video Alex and the um, Chief Exec of Power to Change in the back of the taxi, saying, look, I'm really stuck in this and I've got to know Video through the Granby project that I was involved in. And Video said, let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Um, and I think one of the things I really like about Power to Change is that they've not always taken heed of what's acceptable at a local or regional level, what's politically acceptable. And that's really important because, you know, I work really closely with politicians. I've got real admiration for loads and loads of civil servants, but actually I've worked in that system and it's very hard to change a system. You've almost got to go outside it like a Oxbow Lake, you know, and and start flowing little over here and allow that flow to get bigger and bigger until what was the main link begins to dry up because this is so powerful and that becomes the main system. So that's what I like about what Power to Change has done in Liverpool and for Kindred is they've invested in something that was way outside what was acceptable and set up you know, a community-owned investment fund. And hopefully with that, with that kickstart and them helping us persuade the combined authority that, 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 that this could be a good thing, we will now flow. Beautiful. Danielle? So to pick up the story, um, while Erica was having conversations with Lottery and with others, um, Power to Change was working in Liverpool City Region as one of our priority places. So we knew that there were loads of community businesses and a really thriving social economy in the city region. And we were really interested to see what we could do to help foster that and to help it to really thrive. <clears throat> in addition to the grant funding that Power to Change was, was doing at the time to individual organisations. So um, I spent about a year having conversations with people, <laughs> just going to Liverpool and having conversations with people, having conversations with policy people at the Combined Authority, um, organising open space events in community centres uh, and bringing together people from, um, from social investment funds and from the local enterprise partnership and from community businesses and kind of mixing them all together in rooms and trying to figure out what are the priorities in a city region. We, we knew that there's so much happening in Liverpool that we didn't need to come to Liverpool with ideas of what we needed to invest in. We needed to find out what those ideas and priorities were. And while, so while we were doing that, we also funded a little bit of research by our colleague, Helen Heap, along with the Heseltine Institute, which is part of the university in Liverpool. And the research really gave an evidence base for what the potential was for the growth of the social economy. And so bringing that together with the, the kind of practice that Erica had built up and the work that she had done on the ground, and then bringing that together with the combined authority, we were able to say to the combined authority, look, there's potential here, there's evidence of the contribution that the social economy can make to your regional economy. You know, what, what can we do to help foster that? And so the combined authority kind of brought us all together in a way. In fact, they've been having conversations with Erica and with Helen and they said, well, power to change. You're here. You want to you want to create change in the region. We're, we're in. We'll put in some funding, but we'll also support the development of of this thing. It didn't have a name at that time. But the idea of it was to offer the kind of money that organisations need at the time that they need it and the kind of support that they need, recognising that they are largely underserved by what exists in the market. The money that was available to them was not what they needed. The terms were not what they needed. It wasn't patient enough. There was aversion to taking on debt and the support that was provided 
for community businesses and the social economy more broadly, the, the business support that tends to be on offer, and this isn't just in Liverpool, this is, this is wider than Liverpool, tends to either be aimed at mainstream or traditional businesses and therefore doesn't recognise what's unique about community businesses and socially trading organisations. It doesn't necessarily recognise values as being central to, to what they're doing and social value as being essential to what they're trying to create. Or there's support from the charity sector. And again, that doesn't tend to be able to help organisations with their trading and income and business model. So we knew from research that we'd done that there were gaps in the market. And we also knew that there was the potential for the social economy to really grow. And so that's what attracted Power to Change to being a part of Kindred. And then the fact that this would be something so new, because not only would it be an investment fund offering the money and support that organisations need, it would be owned by them. So it's really moving away from the funder having the money and deciding who gets it and moving it into the sector itself, deciding what money uh, people need and, and deciding what they want, what impact they want to see from that money and, uh, you know, and, and ultimately how, taking charge and taking agency over the investment in their sector. So what does this look like on the ground now? Like what's the, what, what's the kind of reality that this has unlocked and, and enabled? Kindred is a community interest company, a kick, and it was established just over a year ago and it's been incubated by Power to Change. And because Kindred is backed by money from the combined authority and also from Power to Change, so it's got five and a half million pounds public money from Liverpool City Region combined authority and one million pounds from Power to Change. All that money is public money. So it's been really important for Kindred to demonstrate the highest levels of accountability and governance and transparency and robustness. So part of our journey of creating Kindred has also been to really gold plate that governance and to be really clear from the start that we can demonstrate the levels of transparency and professionalism that the funders want to see. And so we're hitting a really exciting milestone at the moment because Kindred has a board in place. Uh, it's had an interim board for 12 months, but now it's got a kind of more a paid member of staff. So it's got a director who's leading the organisation and Power to Change is now gradually, we're, we're retreating from the day-to-day -day running of Kindred and kind of handing it over to this new board and operating structure. And so what have we done so far? Um, I think in the normal scheme of things, Kindred would have set up and then started doing something. But we were mid-pandemic um, and the Combined Authority and Power to Change were keen initially that we supported people through that pandemic. Um, that was our initial thought was, are we going to help people survive? So there's something to invest in in 12 months time when we plan to launch Kindred. So initially, we just started supporting people through the pandemic, doing proactive calls to people to say, are you OK? Have you got cash flow? Is there any help we can offer? Um, there was no money in the bag. There was just us ringing people, a team of people we put together very quickly. Um, but actually, what quickly became apparent, as I sort of talked about in our imaginary 30 years hence, was not only were these people surviving, they were thriving because they were creative and imaginative and entrepreneurial 
And so either the, the demand for their services had gone off the scale. So like Shop in Nosley, who supports elderly people in their homes, was like, oh, my God, we've never been so busy. We don't know how to expand fast enough. Um, in fact, Beautiful New Beginnings, who does like, um, they do baby massage and, you know, well-being for new parents and that kind of thing. Um, they'd been delivering to about 60 people in a village hall and they're now delivering to 17,000 <laughs> so so beautiful new beginnings you know if you've just had a baby you don't want to be stuck at home on your own with that baby 24 hours a day but suddenly mothers were and they've now got 17,000 people calling into a baby massage class from all over the globe not just from the town you know the, the high street down in North Liverpool where, where they're based um, so some people are going through massive growth, others just playing really fundamental roles in their communities um, and, and, and others transforming what they were doing because what they used to do was run a nightclub and they kind of thought, well, we don't want the space to go to waste, let's grow some mushrooms. So, you know, people just being really creative. And so actually quite quickly in conversation with both Power to Change and Combined Authority as our funders, the Power to Change have also played a really fundamental role in, in, in setting up and being part of that initial delivery team. But in talking to the, them as funders, they said, okay, let's start putting some money out. Um, and so, you know, our criteria were pretty tough considering it was the middle of lockdown. Um, you had to be in growth. That growth couldn't be pandemic dependent. You had to be collaborating. You had to know what you wanted the money to do. You had to understand your social impact and you had to understand how that money could grow that social impact. But we put a million, well, we've committed, we haven't put it out all out yet, but we, we committed a million pounds um, just after Christmas this last year for 22 organisations that met those criteria. Um, I was really proud because I think we've run one of the first ever non-competitive bidding rounds because we provided a process within which people could elect in or elect out based on how ready they felt for that kind of investment. And the kind of investment we offer is interest-free, it's very patient, and it's based on what a business needs. So working with people to say, well, what do you really need? And one of those um, socially trading organisations, as we call them, you know, they, they made a really interesting comment saying, you know, when, when you go for grant, you go for as much as you can get because you've got one chance at it. You're competing with everybody else that five minutes ago you were meant to be collaborating with, but you stab them in the back of the eyeballs and you get what you can get. Not very good for local economics, but that's that, that's the nature of funding. Um, or you go for loan and you take as little as you can possibly afford to get by with and often under-resource yourself because loan's scary and frightening and you might have to pay it back when you can't. You know, really, again, what one of, one of the people said to us when we were out consulting, saying, well, what kind of money do you need? And she said, I want us to have a pot of money that we collectively own, and I want to be able to take some money out of it for as long as I need it and put it back when I'm ready so somebody else can have a go. Um, and that's kindred, really. It's that simple. And the spirit of that, you know, and the network of people around that means... You know, we sometimes think people are high risk because they've never lent any money before or um, their books don't look very good or 
they set the company up in a funny way because they didn't know how to do it originally. You know, all these things that are supposed to be high risk. But actually, when you've got a group of people who collectively earn some money and all know each other and are taking what they need and putting back putting it back in, like the old friendly societies, you don't not pay it back. You don't rip off because you're ripping off your mate round the corner or the person you've got to know down the road or, you know, the person you've just put a bid in with to win a contract for services like you could never have won on your own before, which has just happened out of that first round of, of investees. So what, what have we done so far is we've put about a million quid out, the first first 22. Um, and I think some of the impact they're having, um, I'll mention an outfit called Future Yard, who are using music to regenerate a place. Um, and from a, you know, I, I, I'm winding back slightly before Kindred started, but from 300 quid and a conversation in a back room of a pub amongst some musicians in Birkenhead that then became 3,000 quid and then became a few more quid and then Kindred put, um, I can't remember quite what we put in this year, but, you know, I don't know, 50,000 or something. They now own a building. They're regenerating Birkenhead through music. Um, you can go and walk Birkenhead and listen to their soundtracks, and that begins to define an area and take people to it and take you around it. And the most, you feel like you're in your own film, you know, as you listen to this soundtrack moving around Birkenhead, imagining your own future. And people have moved in next door to them. Uh, the makerspace has got a building next door. And Birkenhead's just won 25 million in the town's deal. And, other people like Future Yard and the Makerspace are beginning to blossom in Birkenhead. So from small things quite quickly can become, you know, really big place change, I think. Speaking as a grant funder, I think it is really radical the way that Kindred approaches that. So organisations aren't asked to spend time completing an application form, which Kindred then assesses and says yes or no to. Instead, they're, they're investing their time in the process alongside Kindred. So they're working out proposals. And I, what I found really interesting was how many organisations kind of self-selected out as they went through the process. And they said, actually, we're not ready for the money yet. Or we know we want it, but we want it in a, you know, we want it in a year's time. Or actually, you know, we want less than we, than we thought we did. And I think that's really positive because I think the process is helping them get a better understanding of what money they need rather than it being a kind of an extractive process where they spend a lot of time trying to answer questions that a funder has set that aren't really enabling them to show what they want to do. And then some get some money and, and some don't and there are winners and losers. So I think that I think that is kind of quite radical, uh, the way that the Kindred is doing it. And the people who are working with the organisations to help them work up their proposals are from the sector. So it's not the funders uh, grilling the organisations about what they're going to do with the money. It's peers helping them get to a point where they've got a proposition uh, that enables them to take on money. Follow that, Daniel. I think there's two, two sort of fundamental threads in that, the differences. And one is that most business support, which Danielle talked about earlier, you know, at a national level, regional level, local level, is, is delivered in a one-to-one -one way. And, you know, that kind of era of privatisation we've been through, hopefully we're coming out of, taught people to protect their ideas like they were secrets and not tell anybody else what was in their bid because you're in a competitive process. And actually all our evidence says that economies work best 
when people collaborate. You know, all the evidence, the clustering evidence, the collaborating communities evidence, everything says economies work best when when you're quite open. And I, I often laugh because I kind of think the Masons knew that, didn't they? <laughs> the Masons looked after their own. You know, it's a good economic model. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the takeaway from today's podcast. Be more like the Masons. Yeah, be like the Masons. <laughs> Um, yeah, you might want to edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> that privatisation con, you know, might advantage a few people, but it doesn't advantage most of us. So I think our programme is called Collaborating Communities because we know we have to build communities in order to build strong, thriving, confident economies. They go together. Um, and then the other one is that that actually most of the socially trading organisations we work with, early stage, late stage, whatever, people are investing their lives and livelihoods in them. They are their own experts. And who is it for us to sit there and judge? You know, it's it's not the best on paper that works. It's the tenacity of the individuals who, having invested their lives and livelihoods, are going to make it bloody work. You know, one way or another, they are going to make this thing work and we will switch and swerve and find a way of delivering. Often not motivated by their business, but motivated by their passion for supporting mums who've had babies or their passion for cycling and building cargo bikes or you know, their, their passion for making cakes and delivering them to their neighbours or their, you know, it's that passion, that thing they want to do, the thing they want to share with the world or the impact they want to have on their community. That's what drives them. That's what they're expert in. Our job is to make sure they've got enough money to do it because we want that social impact. Of course we want that social impact. So if Kindred haven't got the money, we'll go and find it from somebody else. If we can't give them enough money, we'll start talking to a good fund to make sure they've got the money they need because that social impact has to happen for that vision we were talking about earlier, Rob. Mm, fantastic. Do you think it's worth saying something about the kind of money that we're offering? Because I don't think we've really said that the money that Kindred offers is interest-free it's loans, but organisations will pay some of that money back in money and some of it in social value. And it's typically where Kindred's putting money out at between five to seven years so that so the organisations can have it for up to seven years. And we're offering up to two years repayment holiday at the beginning. So they don't have to start paying it back immediately. Um, but the great thing about Kindred is because it's run by the sector itself, those terms and things might change as Kindred develops and as we get more evidence from the first round of investment. Um, but at that stage, that's the bit of the market that we could see there was a gap for. This is a partnership. And I think it's that sense that actually what works for the social traders works for Kindred rather than what works for Kindred works for the social traders. It's it's actually our job is for them to succeed because Kindred will only continue if they succeed. So we are immensely invested. And though we haven't kind of talked about it as equity because that carries all sorts of other financial connotations, actually we're invested in those businesses because Kindred won't succeed if they don't succeed. It's in our interest that they succeed. So that mutuality is built in, it's kind of hardwired in the Kindred. So one of the things that, that, that we, we did a whole episode on a little while ago was this concept of imagination infrastructure. How do you build an imagination infrastructure for a town or a city or a, or a whole population? 
you know, to build in that capacity to see things as if they could be otherwise and to make that a reality. So from, from, from what you've done, what would you identify as being key parts of uh, an imagination infrastructure if you want to build one of those for a city like Liverpool? So I'm a real believer in incremental investment. I think it's a real nonsense that, you know, suddenly there's a competition and one of us can win a million quid and 99 of us won't. And we all put loads of work into it. Whereas I think incremental investment allows me to try things out at a human scale. But you don't put all your money in straight away. You put a bit in, make sure it's used well, and you put a bit more in. Nobody needs all that money straight away. Um, and I think what that incremental investment allows is it, it, it helps manage risk for all of us, for sure. But it allows what I talked about, power to change doing. It allows us to not start with what's there, but to start with something completely other. And so that imagination space to say, do you know what, if we start with a blank sheet, we wouldn't start with some people owning all the land and houses and renting them out to everybody else, would we? That that kind of came out of feudalism. Why, why do we want that? Let's start with a blank sheet. What would that look like? And that freedom to reimagine the world, I think, is our, you know, that's, you know, in some ways, Kindred is Liverpool City Region's future lab. You know, it's it's what could happen. And, yeah, we'll make mistakes and not everything will work. But actually, if nobody's being given the time and resources to imagine a better future, then we will always rely on the systems and processes and infrastructure we've got. And they're really restrictive and they're not designed for most of us. They're designed at a feudal system where a very small number of people hold all the land and property in the country and we got to work on it as serfs. You know, that's where it comes from. Let, let, let's try out new systems, but let's try them at low cost in small places and where they work. I think not always grow them. You know, not everything works at scale. Some things work much better at a very human and local scale. That doesn't mean they can't be replicated. I think multiplication is a, you know, we undervalue the multiplication of good things. Um, but, you know, hospitals you know I'm a real fan of the NHS but it works really well when when a matron ran a ward you know when you've got a manager who doesn't even come into the hospital running a ward it's harder care services work at a really human and localized scale and yet there's somebody sitting in a local authority trying to commission services off the internet you know how's that gonna work and um, so I think we have to turn some of those things right upside down and start again Right. It's like David Fleming once said, we need to be not looking for silver bullets, but for silver buckshot, uh, which I quite like. Lots and lots of things. Uh, Danielle, any any thoughts on building imagination infrastructures? For me, there's something about the collaboration. There was something that happened when the socially trading organisations were brought together multiple times um, over a period of time in Liverpool City region and asked what they wanted. Uh, they were asked, what is a socially trading organisation? They were asked what they wanted and... And not just what money do they want, but how did they want Kindred to be run? What did they want it to look like? And, and that that collaboration isn't only happening through Kindred now. So I think that giving that space for them to come together and feel empowered together to ask for what they need as a sector is really important. And what, what I've heard from organisations and community businesses in the city region is that now they 
do they pop into each other's premises they ask what money they're going for from kindred they ask how they can help each other out there's a real sense of collaboration that's been partly fostered by the work that that kindred has done so i think for that imagination infrastructure people need to have the opportunity to collaborate in that way and they need the capacity to do it because it takes time and a lot of these people are running organizations with very little time they're investing themselves their heart their soul their money into it so they need to be freed up to participate in those collaborative efforts as well i think danielle said a really important thing there which was the structure and actually kindred isn't mine or danielle's imagination running wild it was 150 stos who came together in each borough across the region they went Hmm, we'd imagine a money system working like this. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And we haven't got it perfect, but that's what we've attempted to build, is their imagined financial infrastructure. And we're trying it out. Beautiful. Wow. And thank you so much for sharing the story with us. And I really hope that it inspires communities and uh, and um, funders and investors and local authorities across the country to do to, to do likewise. Thank you so, so much for joining us here today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you very much. Thank you. So my thanks to my guests and to everyone who listens and who subscribes and to Ben Aldicott as always for his production and theme music and we'll see you next time. Thank you.